Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. You know, that's what you start noticing when you look at offensive tackles, right? Yeah. Guys that are extremely quick don't need to lean inside when they're going to do a cutoff block. They don't need to take uh, weight off of their fingers when they're going to pull. They just do it. They just do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, that's, that's what's hard to read. Yeah. And then you got to look at splits, and then you're mm-hmm. trying to, like, okay, is his helmet six inches behind the center? Yes. Trying exactly. to get clearance. Mm-hmm. Like, you're trying to, like, gauge depth. And, yep. Oh. yep. And I think I was talking to one of the dudes outside. Um, we were talking about Landon, uh, I think Landon Tengwall from, uh, from Alabama, the Alabama center. Oh, Dickerson. Dickerson, yes, Landon Dickerson. Yeah, and the big thing for, for him was, like, a lot of the times the defensive lineman, you want to key on the snap count and feel out the rhythm. Mm-hmm. And he was so good at it in terms of not giving them that, that he would be looking around, right, looking like he was surveying for, like, the mic or something like that, ball snapped. I never noticed that. You know, and that was – Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That yeah. stuff is hard Dude, to do. That's rough. Yes. So you can never you can never get a rhythm or feel because a lot of the time even if the center doesn't like, you know, say something, then it'll be like you can feel like their butt go down before they snap, yeah. right? But for guys that are you know talented and pay attention to it and really work at it, like that can get to the point where you really you know they can they can really sell you and stuff. Oh my god, I never even thought of that. Yeah. That's nasty. Yep. You know what he's going to do. Yep. He's going to go home. And, and I'm going to look at that. Cuz he's got an hard drive. Yeah. No, check it out. I got all that Bama tape. I'm going to yeah. go back and look. Yeah, it was one of the University of Kentucky uh defensive tackles he was telling me about Mark that. Mark McCall? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, cuz they had plenty of battles. Mhm. No, it's it's crazy. It's like little stuff like that that gets you. And you know, I try to implement that sort of stuff in my game in terms of like one thing I really liked running was like the tech stunt, except not from a three technique, from a two eye. And the reason why that was so deadly, and like I wanted to run that like during this today's practice, is because you know as a guard, when you have an immediate inside threat as a, yeah. as like a two eye, you're looking down at that, and naturally your first step is going to be down. So for me, like that's one of my strengths is my ability to change direction and like you know say, play. That's a, that's a long way to go from that alignment. Yes, but for me, like again, if I sell it with my eyes and I don't look out at all pre-snap. And it looks like I'm rushing that A gap. As soon as I like plant off of this right foot and I'm out of there, yeah. the B gap is huge. Because not only have, am I already over there, but he's stepping down. Yeah. So it widens everything out. So like even if that end doesn't end up getting it, I'm bouncing right off the tackle, and I'm in there. Dude, he's gonna be fucking good, man. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> but yeah, it's little stuff like that. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. And we are once again coming to you 
from Las Vegas for uh, day three and day four recap of the Shrine Bowl. Day four was a little bit more of a walkthrough day because the game is on Thursday, so there wasn't as much stuff to walk and practice. So we decided to kind of roll day three and day four together and also kind of, you know, maybe recap some guys that, that we saw throughout the entire week, including on day one and day two. Really, really interesting group here. Senior Bowl also just started practice today, mm -hmm. so kind of getting to compare some of the guys here to some of the guys there. Uh, Shrine Bowl, some position groups here, I would say, compare pretty favorably to the ones in Mobile, and there are some in Mobile that I think are, are obviously a lot deeper. O-line for sure, edge for sure, but it's a, it's a really good group down here in Shrine. Probably 20 to 30 guys, if not a little bit more, are, are going to make game day rosters here. Uh, a lot of uh, you know key day two and day three picks. They're going to fill out rosters, be immediate contributors. So uh, a lot, a lot of talent here in Vegas. Uh, we each have four guys on offense, four guys on defense that we're going to talk about. Uh, why don't we start off with offense? This is a receiver that I really wanted to bring up in the day one and day two recap, but I didn't have space because the receiver group here is maybe the strongest position group out of any of them. And honestly, I'd put the receivers here up against the receivers in Mobile and feel pretty good about it. Uh, Tay Martin from Oklahoma State. He's my number one. Really, really highly productive kid. Thousand-yard season, double-digit touchdowns, uh, you know, 6'2", 6'3", frame. A little bit light, but... Uh, you know, we're not talking like Thornton kind of thinness. He's a little <laughs> bit thicker than that. But violent, violent route runner. Uh, has just as much acceleration down the field as some of the other guys here that are kind of billed as pure deep threats, like, say, Tyquan Thornton. But just a little bit more filled out. He's really shown everything this week in terms of being able to win quick, being able to win deep. Just a really, really underrated receiver that... Uh, you know, probably might be starting to get a look like late round three, early round four, just based on his tools. And this is a very deep receiver class overall. So who knows where some of these guys are going to go. But uh, he's he's going to be on a roster and be fighting for like a wide receiver three, wide receiver four job, probably day one. Yeah, big frame, great hands, good speed to carry over the top if he needs to, real good around the sideline. Um, not going to be a tremendous blocking threat again because of the, the thinner frame. A lot of receivers aren't. It's not that he doesn't block. He does. Um, but I'm with you that sort of any time after sort of, I would say, late third round, gates are open. If somebody likes his tools, they could take him. Um, if they need that bigger sort of Z, right, mm -hmm. that T. Higgins type role, that's the role he's going to fill in the NFL, and he looked good all week. We've had a bunch of receivers like that. We're going to talk about a couple of them today that we've wanted to bring up a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Kyle Phillips has been stealing headlines, so we kind of haven't. Um, he's been stealing targets, too. He has <laughs> been stealing targets in a good way. Phillips is one of those guys that coaches are going to love because he always jumps in if there's an open spot and a rep or somebody's a little slow. Um, and... The targets bit, quarterbacks love him because he's wide open. So he makes the quarterbacks yeah. who are here look good. He's the easiest guy to throw to because he's got the most separation. So really doesn't matter what route he runs, whether it's a dump off underneath, a little out. He gets the ball probably 80% of the time if he's on the field, which has limited some of the other targets to guys we wanted to see. Um, Samari Toure from Nebraska. There's, there's a handful of other guys we wish got a few more balls. Um, 
but overall, I, it's good receiver class. There are a lot of guys that are going to get drafted. There's a bunch of guys that are going to go UDFA. They're going to fight for jobs. A lot of the guys here have special teams ability as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to make their value to an NFL team even greater. So we'll see a lot of these names either on practice squads, certainly in camps uh, when camps open around the summer. Who's your number one for offense? My number one, we're in Vegas, so I'm going to I'm gonna gamble. I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to go for a guy uh, that teams are going to take a chance on because of his frame and hope they can develop him because he plays a premium position. That's Kellen Deitch, the offensive oh, tackle man. from ASU. There's just not that many guys with his frame who have feet like his. Now, does he have things to work on? Yes. I was really surprised he weighed in at 300 pounds. He doesn't look... He looks like an overinflated <laughs> tight end, and I don't mean that as a as a backhanded compliment. Yeah. Like, he is a tall, lanky guy. His frame could easily take 20 to 25 more pounds, but he was 300 pounds, which is a key measurement when he weighed in here because there are zero tackles in the NFL who are operating under 300 pounds. Yeah, I mean, I think Brian O'Neill came in at 295, but by the time they were actually playing games, he was at least... 305, 310. So. And, and offensive line coaches in the NFL are not going to consider if you're not 300 pounds. Well, Kellen Deesh made 300 pounds for weigh-in. Yeah. He holds the weight easily. Again, he could take 20 to 25 more pounds without a hitch. And it's interesting you mentioned Brian O'Neill, and the other one is a guy that plays in this town, Colton Miller. Yeah. And these are the gambles that NFL teams are going to take. If you have a guy with a frame like that with good feet, if you develop him and he pans out, it is a huge savings for your franchise. Now, I want, things I want to see Deesh do better, I want to see him use his long arms. He tends to take guys into his body and then just kind of wrestle with them. But again, his lower body, his feet are in the right place. He slides well. He mirrors well. I want to see him be a little more violent up top, but he's got athletic upside, and there's just not that many of those guys. So I'll roll the dice on Kellen Deesh. And in this kind of tackle class, because there are some, I mean, almost – slam dunks at the top you can bet that there are going to be teams in the back half of the round that still need tackle help or at minimum tackle depth i think about the bears they don't have a first round pick there's multiple teams that need tackle help that don't have first round picks they're gonna have to go hunting for guys like that and at some point every offensive line in the league or rather every offensive line coach is just going to say, give me the dude with tools, I can fix him, because offensive line coaches always believe they can fix everybody. (laughs) He's going to go earlier than people think, because, again, planet theory, guys that big that are that fast, there's not a lot of them, and everybody thinks they can make them into Brian O'Neill. Yeah, and if they do, they save themselves literally tens of millions of dollars. Easily, for for, for three, four years, so they have to extend them. Uh, My number two is actually kind of cheating. Uh, It's number two... And to be. <laughs> and that's both of the punters here. Tommy Heatherly from FIU, Ryan Stonehouse from Colorado State. Uh, Stonehouse, when we were at UNLV outdoors, the sound of his punt carried like you wouldn't believe. And I know some people, uh, including my co host here, scout punters by sound. <laughs> Kickers, too. Kickers, too. Uh, and you could hear it. Like it was a kinetic force. Every time his his foot touched the ball, and his hang time proved it. He was you know hitting four eights, four nines every single time. Uh, and then we moved inside to the stadium at Allegiant, and I actually got out my timer 
for, uh, for Tommy Heatherly the next day. 20 punts into the drill, he hit 502. I mean, if that's what he's like when his leg is, I mean, really, really gassed, I can only imagine when, you know, he's only got four punts to do during a game and he can really, really go all out with it. Like, he's got a cannon for a leg. So, I think both of these punters, you know, it's tough to project them to be drafted, but I think both of them are going to make teams because they both have howitzers attached to their hips. Uh, both of them were hitting five-second hang times this week. Yeah, I think it's very fair to say that these guys are going to take somebody's job in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Funny story, we did a podcast that didn't work out because of technical difficulties, and we brought up the punters on day one. Yeah. When we moved inside somebody's racking off punts during special teams drills. I'm watching somebody else. And I assumed it was a kid from Colorado state. And I turned around and it was the other punter. It was Tommy Heatherly. Mm -hmm. And so I did the same thing. Brett and I weren't standing next to each other. And I pulled out my iPhone and I pulled out my stopwatch. And again, probably 15 punts deep. Heatherly hit two punts that had 4.88 second hang times, which yeah. is well within the range of very good NFL punts. And he was banging them. And I thought, Oh, you know, that's the one from Colorado State. And we went back and looked at the tape, and I was like, no, that's that's 19. That's Heatherly. That's the <laughs> other punter. So both of these guys, uh, Eric Galco said in our roster reveal that he thought he had both of the best punters uh, probably in this draft class here at the Shrine Bowl. Uh, Shane Coughlin, who's the director of scouting here, is a special teams-focused coach, one of the few mm -hmm. who really cares about that aspect of the game and, and brought both of these guys in. And they're legit good. Uh, I stood with Craig Stout today from KCSN. Yeah. And while we were talking, our heads were doing this. <laughs> it was like we are watching tennis, but, I mean, you just can't not watch. It's like they were both trying to see how close they could get to the rafters. Yeah. When those guys <laughs> unleash, the ball just hangs and hangs and hangs and having seen an NFL game in that building with good punters yeah you're like that's that and then some mm -hmm. and these guys can unleash it and I know punters aren't particularly sexy and bootleg is certainly not a specialist podcast for the most part we tend to avoid those players but these guys would put on a show throughout the week and they're going to end up in NFL camps Drafted, maybe not, but definitely sort of priority UDFAs for teams that have an opening at the punter spot. Did you see the one, I think it was from Stonehouse, where A, he had the hang time, and I don't know how he did this, but it landed right on the nose at the five and then kind of did like a backspin, settled six inches in front of the end zone. Both guys were hitting the corners, <laughs> and even when they didn't hit one of these booming punts with a huge hang time where everybody went, oh, they mishit it, the guy was still shagging it inside the 10 yeah. within like three yards of the sideline. He makes it unreturnable, basically. Yeah. These guys are weapons. Field position is still a game to be played in the NFL, and these guys will both contribute. Yeah. Who's your uh, real number two? For My <laughs> real number two. Um, I'm going to go with a guy that flashed a little bit on day two and has continued to just impress me ever since. And that's Isaiah Pacheco, the running back from Rutgers. He's number one on the roster. Um, just has a perfect running back build. Not super tall, very muscular, and he is fast. Mm -hmm. Just, he's a tough guy, but he is fast. And what turned my head on day two was he took a wheel route up the sideline and just left 
Like, there's a lot of fast players here. This is legit Jets. He just left. Um, I posted a clip on Twitter today from day four in the walkthroughs. Drills beforehand. Running backs working against linebackers. He's working against the linebacker from Penn State, who's a good athlete. Didn't matter. Turn of the hips is extremely quick. And as soon as he catches the ball, he's going. He's going to be a mismatch. If you put a linebacker, most linebackers on him, he's going to be a guy. I mean, people are going to say classic third down back. But he's also really powerful between the tackles. And he's a difference maker. If you get him out in the pattern, I think of the old Marshall Falk routes for the Rams. Like, that's his game all day. Is he going to be somebody's number one back? Not right away. Is he even going to be somebody's number two? No. Is he going to be a guy that you can play on special teams, that is going to come in in packages, and you can run routes to that are going to break coverages, depending on who they man up on him? Absolutely. Like, Pacheco is a guy. He's a I haven't seen him on any lists, like none before I got here. I, I hadn't even heard his name before I came here. You should have him on your list. I'm serious. This guy's a player, probably going to be a UDFA just because of positional value. Mm-hmm. I bet a team might take a chance on him with a late round pick because of what they've seen here. He is fast. Yeah. Uh, my number three is somebody who I, I can't remember if we've mentioned mm-hmm. on the pod this week, but I know we've definitely mentioned him on Twitter a lot. And that's uh, Josh Johnson yeah. from Tulsa, who EJ and I, for the first couple days, just knew as 84. <laughs> 84 with the gold helmet. Every single time somebody made a catch, it felt like it was, oh, there's 84. And his, really his strength to me, and we did interview him, I think, after day two. And as soon as he said this, it kind of made a lot of sense. He watches a lot of Keenan Allen. He watches <laughs> a lot of Devontae Adams. And you see it in how he releases off the line. It's violent, it's sudden, very lateral. You know, you you can tell that he watches those guys because those guys get super wide in their releases so that nobody can touch them, and then they'll kind of hook back in and stack on top and start to dictate the route. He does the exact same thing. Super wide in his releases, and he's very laterally explosive, so he he can get away with that. Guys that are stiffer, not as explosive, they can't release like that because they'll just, either they're, They'll fall all over themselves, or they'll just get driven out of bounds. But he's really, really gifted in that department. Doesn't I don't think he's the same third gear of, say, Tanner Connor, Thornton, uh, Tate Martin. But if you're looking for like a, you know a third and Johnson type guy, where it's third and seven, somebody go get open. You know when they're when they're calling cover one, and they're bringing pressure. Like who's a guy that can win quickly? Is Josh Johnson? I think he's a natural fit at the slot. Maybe at Z, um, but I I would love him as a as a slot receiver at the next level. Yeah, Josh is really interesting. It was great talking to him. It was great talking to all the receivers about who they value watching, where they picked up their craft, which mm-hmm. receivers they want to emulate, um, and lots of people said the same names. But you could tell the guys that were really quick and very decisive route runners had the same list. Yeah. And it's Devontae Adams, it's Keenan Allen. Uh, they sort of diverged after that. but We got one Doug Baldwin answer. Oh, the Doug Baldwin <laughs> answer. Oh, warm my cold little heart. <laughs> Love Doug Baldwin. Um, but Josh is really interesting. He plays bigger, I think, than his actual size. When yeah. I look, I thought, oh, Josh is definitely taller than Kyle Phillips. And we saw Kyle Phillips and Josh Johnson next Same to size. each other. And they're literally dead even with height. I posted a clip on Twitter today of Josh Johnson in the goal line drill. Basically a little T-release. Two-way go to the goal line, and he just 
flicks the move to the outside. There's yeah. almost no way to keep with it. Anybody that could turn their hips that fast, the DB's got no shot. You've got to drive into that turn. If you're reacting to it, you're going to be late in a short area route like that. And he can do that all day long. Well, the thing, he didn't lose speed in the nope. cut. That's the thing. It, and it's just like that. It's, it's like it's, it's like the Tron cycles. Yep. Like you, you don't <laughs> lose speed. And like there's nothing a DB can do about it. Yeah. Special teams value as well, punt returner. That's what we mm -hmm. saw him doing on the very first day. And you see the same things, the sort of angular acceleration, immediate. We watched like five guys right as we walked into the stadium. They were just fielding punts to warm up. It was our initial sort of entrance into the yeah. Dry Bowl. And within about three punts, I was like, 84 is my guy. That guy's got juice. Turns out that's Josh Johnson. So yeah. glad we get a chance to mention him. Fun guy to interview. Fun guy to watch on the field. Needs to put on a little weight in an NFL strength and conditioning program for sure. He's very, very thin. Yep. I mean, just from a nutrition standpoint, he probably will. Yeah. yeah. And But good hands. Uh, again, not super top end, but anywhere in the short area, he can win right now. Yeah. Who's, uh, who's your number three for offense? Uh, I'm going to go a little bit chalk. This is a guy that we expected to play pretty well coming in, but has played pretty well, and we haven't said anything about him, and I don't think that's fair. Uh, Pierre Strong, running back from South Dakota yeah. State. He was kind of a known, very well-known, very productive running back at South Dakota on a lot of watch lists for running backs. Um, he's been just dead solid. And I, again, because of positional value, I think he will get drafted for sure, but he's going to be one of those guys that gives returns. Good in the passing game. Runs very tough. Um, not the biggest guy, but runs bigger. Runs behind his pads. He is kind of shredded, though. So, like, I don't he's think he'll, he'll suffer shape. taking a hit. Yeah, yeah. no, he's not going to get beat up at all. And yeah. you can see that in his work at South Dakota State. Not afraid to run between the tackles. Can pop it outside. Very smooth in his acceleration. He's yeah. fast. He's yeah. not, like, super jerky in terms of his motion. He just carries. And people still don't catch him. A mm -hmm. um, lot of catches in practice over the last couple of days. And he's got... I would say completely functional hands, and that is not a backhanded compliment. For the routes he's running, he's very sure-handed, and he's just going to produce. He's not loud. He expects to be in that position. He expects to get the yards because he's proven he can in college. He's going to be a productive back for anybody yeah, that takes it. It's the Corey Clement type role. You know, the other back that comes in that can catch, you can Tech, you give him a couple carries inside so you don't tip your hand in terms of personnel. Like, same dude. Exactly. Yeah, same dude. I think he's a little bit lighter, James Robinson. With a little bit with a little bit more receiving. Oof. He runs the same way. James Robinson is not an outside guy. He's not a yeah. speed sweep guy. He doesn't have quite it's, as much pop. He's a little bit lighter, but that's the way he runs if you watch his college days. Stylistically, yep. I do think Robinson's better, though. Yeah, I don't think he's necessarily equal and probably won't. Very few guys with that pedigree are going to break on as quickly as Robinson did. Yeah, I think Pierre Strong is going to be one of those guys that kicks around, plays special teams, is the third down running back, and then maybe two, three years from now, right, somebody's going to get hurt, and everybody's going to be like, "Wow, this Pierre Strong guy, yeah, he's really good." He's, it's going to be a Thursday night game in New England. <laughs> Belichick's going to give him twenty-five carries out of nowhere. Yep, and he'll get 110 yards, get 110 yards, 45 yards receiving, yeah. and a touchdown, and everybody's gonna be like, "Wow, I remember." And then, Pierre and Strong. then he won't do anything the rest of the season because it's the <laughs> Patriots, and they hate my fantasy team. They do hate your fantasy <laughs> team. Uh, my number four, 
is uh, uh, another, well, I guess I can't call him a running back. He's an everything back. Don't call him a running back on Twitter because everybody from his uh, team, fandom, locale of the country will let you know that he is not just a fullback. No, they call him a super back. Super back, everything back, everything but a fullback. Yeah, that is uh, Clinton Rakovich from NIU who... Coming into this game, got a lot of comparisons to Kyle Juszczyk, and yep, that's that's probably going to be my comparison too, because he really does everything. He blocks, he catches, he runs, he has a 96-yard touchdown against uh, Western Michigan this year, where I don't know how many fullbacks pull away from DBs 50 yards down the field, but... You know one. He's, he's, he's one of them, and yeah. <laughs> the other one's Kyle Juszczyk. Uh, he's not as... Big as use check because I've I've seen Kyle in person and now I've seen Rakovich in person. Not as big or as thick, but I think in terms of uh, speed, receiving ability, versatility, I do want to see because again it's not like full full contact in his mm-hmm. practice in the game. I do want to see like when it's full contact, what's he look like on like a kick out against a you know the two hundred sixty pound edges we have here. Uh, that's what I want to see. But other than that, yeah, it's it's pretty similar to, to Kyle Juszczyk. I think teams that use a lot of two-back stuff or maybe want to use a lot of two-back stuff but also be able to pass out of it consistently, which that's kind of the dream for every team, but fullbacks don't really exist like that. You know, yeah. Juszczyk is a unicorn. That's why Kyle's never going to let him go is because they can run four verts out of two back and nobody else can. Uh, but for teams that want to be able to do that, Rakovich is their guy. Yeah, I just had a little flash when you were talking about that. And I thought, oh, God, what if he goes to Stefanski and the Browns? That's what they've wanted since he got there. I understand. Rakovich is one of those guys. We saw him catch a – normally you'd call it a back shoulder, but it was like a back hip. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't the best. That's kind of been a theme this week. It's not the best balls to work with. But he yeah. caught it. Like <laughs> He totally tracked it in there, turned around, walled off the DB, caught it 15, 18 yards down the field. Yeah. Uh, I posted a picture of his face mask on day one, which is a chipped and chiseled masterpiece. He's a gamer. When the yeah. lights come on, he is not the most physically imposing guy on the sideline. We walked by him three feet away multiple times this week. Um what he is is a damn good football player. Yeah. Like, when the lights come on, this guy plays ball. And if that means catching and running and outrunning DBs, he'll do that. If that means blasting linebackers in the hole to free up the other back, he'll do that. If that means pass pro, he'll do that. He's great in his pass sets, uh, great form, good explosion in his hands. He's one of those guys that when the lights come on, he's obviously going to play special teams. Some coach is going to absolutely love him because he is a great football player. I've kind of already got a Lions jersey on him in my head. Hmm. He just feels like a Dan Campbell kind of guy. Yep, he is most certainly <laughs> a Dan Campbell kind of player on the field. Uh, who's your number four for offense? Uh, I'm going to go with another receiver that we got to interview and we wanted to talk about earlier, but just haven't gotten to, and that's Charleston Rambo. Yeah. He was at Miami this last year. He spent time before that at Oklahoma um, with all the great quarterbacks that they had there. Uh, fascinating guy to talk to, especially about releases and about countering DBs. Mm-hmm. 
very, very confident, not surprising for a lot of wide receivers, but a, a quiet sort of a confidence, an I got it sort of confidence, not a I'm better than you. Um, and almost it's easy because I know what I know, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen all these situations. I have all this in my head. And you can see it on the field. He's patient. DBs will start to backpedal and they're patient. They don't want to flip their hips. And he just waits because he knows whatever they do, he's got the other thing. And he's very quick with it. Not a huge build. So literally, he's about a 5'11", uh, just under six foot. Yeah. So you can hear on the bottom half, but so quick and so polished. Again, he is, it's just really hard to mess with him. Yeah. Because he knows what he's going to do no matter what you do. I saw him on the field. He had a one-on-one down the edge. He's waited and waited and waited. Finally, the guy stabbed his outside hand. He was like, Done. Batted the outside hand, took the inside cut, and he was gone. He's free for his route. Good separation. Um, decent contested catcher, not great. I've seen him. I've seen him drop a couple of contested balls, but then make a crazy catch on the next rep. It's interesting. The the thing that sets him apart in my mind is the ability to finish, and we talk yeah. about that with defensive backs all the time. They oh, you got beat, but you played through the catch basket. You know, you disrupted it on the way to the ground. It's not over till it's over. He's that guy except as a wide receiver, right? Mm -hmm. Defensive back will bump him. He'll counter. Defensive back will bump him again and think, ah, I got him. Throws it, turns around, catches it over his head, lands on his shoulder blade, gets up, flips the ball at him. And they just look at him like, man, what do I have to do to you to keep you from catching the ball? (laughs) And he's like, it's going to be like this all day. Yeah, Like, it's been like this my entire career. You should just get used to it. And it's that kind of confidence I love out of a guy like Charleston Rambo. He's been one of the guys that this week that I think has, I don't want to say suffered the most, um, that has been a victim of Kyle Phillips the most because the quarterbacks here, again, just want to get completions. They're throwing check downs on seven and seven for some fucking reason that we can't. It's really annoying and we can't retaliate, but man, you just want to pull them out of the rep. It's (sighs) like you're playing against air and you either check down or do what's even worse, which is scramble. Seven it's on seven, seven on versus, seven. Throw the ball. Like, <laughs> just chuck it up there. Nobody's going to hold it against you, but they've had it drilled into them to, to be safe at the ball and, and not risk uh, interceptions. But it is very frustrating to see guys, again, make moves on defensive backs, be clear or be even, which in the league will earn them a throw. Like yes. NFL quarterbacks, if they are even one-on-one, they will throw it up and give the receiver a chance. There's been very little of that this week. So a lot of guys, we talked about Toure, uh, Charleston Rambo, we talked about Tanner Connor, we talked about a lot of these guys, some of the tight ends. They're open, but because Kyle Phillips is open at a five-yard depth, so he's open first, yep. he's getting all the balls, even when Rambo's separating deep, Connor's separating deep. Like, all of them, like, all these receivers have done really well 15-plus yards downfield, but Kyle Phillips already has the ball. Yeah, and it's or like, the running back, or the running back, because yeah. the the, com- the quarterback's just like I got to get completions. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that part's been a little rough. But Charleston Rambo's a guy. He's he's a bit strange for me, just in terms of like roster building. I don't think he's going to be your one or two. He's got enough skill to play in the slot. He, I, he's not. He's played a bunch of special teams, but he's not a guy that I like. I'm going to pound the table for on mm. special teams. So he's at that weird place where if you're going to be a 5-6 receiver in the league, number 5 or number 6, not 5-6 in height, you need to play special teams. And he sort of doesn't – it's not that he doesn't check that box, but I'm not like, yeah, 
Like yeah. you give me a Rakovich on special teams, I'm like, that's two for one. Absolutely. Um, so he's going to have to polish it up, but he, I think he could stick on a practice squad right away. And again, when he keeps winning reps in practice, keeps beating defensive backs, or just through attrition, he's going to come up and be somebody's number three, and he's going to be productive just like that because he's basically a pro receiver now. Pretty much, yeah. 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 Uh, let's go to defense. And uh, my first guy on defense, somebody we, we already interviewed a couple days ago, um, but somebody who I haven't got to talk much about on Twitter or on the pod yet, and that's uh, Nephi Sewell, mm. uh, younger brother of Penny Sewell. I think older brother of Noah, right? He's the middle middle child? Yes. Um, he is the smallest of the Sewell clan, but don't <laughs> let that fool you because he's still 225 pounds. Yeah. Uh, they grow him big over there. And he's he's kind of an interesting guy because he's half safety, half linebacker, uh, you know, kind of modern linebacker size at like six foot, six one, two twenty, two twenty-five-ish, um, but moves like a safety. Oh. And when we were talking to him, you know, we were we were kind of chatting up about the value of his archetype in today's NFL because in a lot of match zone coverages, modern defenses do what's called banjoing on the number three. And the number three typically is the running back in the backfield, unless you're an empty, and then it could be a slot receiver, tight end, right. whoever. Um, but usually number three out of five receiving options is gonna be in the backfield and they're gonna banjo, which means if he goes left, the guy on the left takes him. If he goes right, the guy on the right takes him. And they do that so that a running back can't just come out of the backfield and then option route linebackers to death. You know, like, say, Darren Sproles used to do, Danny Woodhead, all these kind of guys. James White, you go down the line. Nephi's the kind of guy where you don't have to give him help, per se, by banjoing running backs. You can literally just lock him one-on-one on a running back, and it doesn't matter if it's an option route. It doesn't matter if it's a wheel route deep down the sideline. He's going to lock it up, which means the other linebacker, is now free to go do anything else you want him to. You right. want him to bring pressure. You want him to scan on, say, Devontae Adams in the slot and give help to the corner. You can do that. It allows you to double somebody else. Right. And that's incredibly valuable. That's why I think he is going to go to the league as a dime backer, be probably a purely package player, but a very important one. Like on third downs, he's going to come into the game so that they can run coverages whoever his future defense is, so that they can run coverages that they, they can't run without him on the field. Yeah. He's he's a fascinating guy. Uh, he's very soft-spoken. Yeah. Um, uh, talked about how he developed his toughness. Uh, first thing we got on the field today was a walkthrough day, but drills were at full speed before they started walkthroughs. And uh, I was right on the sideline, just kind of warming up, getting my recording stuff going. And they were doing... Uh, unbeknownst to me, they were doing running back versus linebacker drills for passing. And I posted some of those uh, on Twitter, but here comes Ty Chandler, one of my favorite running backs in this group from UNC, who's been making plays all week. And here comes a guy draped all over him, step for step down the sideline, incompletion. I thought, oh, okay, they're running like running backs on safeties because mm-hmm. Nephi's not the biggest guy. Turn around, it's Nephi Sewell. 20, 22 yards downfield, step for step, on his hip, looked easy. Like, he wasn't straining at all. And I was like, there's your value right there. Ty Chandler, very quick running back, uh, has been beating people uh, in space, 
all over the place all week. Nephi, step for step with him. And before anybody jumps on and says, oh, well, if he's going to be a linebacker, he's got to be bigger. Uh, a lot of the linebackers that you really like in the NFL right now play at or just under 220. Yeah. Right? They're in the 218, 220, 222, 225 range, that seven to eight pound range right there. He's right there right now. Even if he bulked up five pounds in the league, he's got enough. He certainly has enough grit. Yeah. You will see him take on contact. Tons of special team experience coming out of Utah. Very tough program. So, again, guy that's automatically going to have a role on special teams, going to have that niche role on coverage, which is really valuable. Good, good player. Yeah, he's the definition of a guy that is, is – he's like a game plan weapon. Yes. You know, where it, his snap counts will vary wildly from week to week. But when you need him, you need him. And you need him bad because guess what? Austin Eckler's coming to town. Somebody's got to cover him. Yeah, <laughs> if your team is one of those that has linebackers that can't cover and they <laughs> routinely get embarrassed on third down because they just don't have somebody yeah. that they can bring in, a safety that you trust, or a guy like Divine Diablo that you can walk down from the box and, and effectively hang with speed threats, you need Nephi Sewell. Yeah. Who's your number one for defense? I'm going to go Big Cat Bryant, guy we got to talk to early on. He's awesome, man. Tremendous stories. You'll see the interview when we post it on the Clips channel. Um, listed as a linebacker, really as an edge. Also listed as Central Florida, but feels like he's been all over the SEC. Uh, well, was at least recruited. He's, been, he's been hitting quarterbacks from all over the SEC for a long time. That's true. He was recruited all over the SEC, yeah. originally Auburn, uh, ended up at UCF. Like, just a, a really interesting player. Again, very confident because of all of his experience, all yeah. the people he's played against, all the plays he's made in big games uh, as a freshman was incredibly productive. Mm -hmm. um, has a lot of tools, believes he can beat anyone in front of him, has proved that throughout most of the week. You know, age is going to be a knock on him. I would say mileage might be a knock on him. Yeah. Um, but tons of skill. At a high position of need, he's going to be, along with Jeffrey Gunter, one of the guys that gets drafted at edge uh, for sure out of the strike bowl group. People might not realize this. He was top 15 in the nation in pressures this year. So that's it's, – it's no small feat. Like, on a team that wasn't great. At least in terms of talent around him on defense, it was not the same as what he was used to at Auburn. For sure. You know, where at least back in the day, you had Derek and Marlin and an entire secondary that got drafted. Like they had like eight eight dudes in that Auburn defense a few years ago that that are either in the NFL now or will be in the NFL. You go to UCF and you might have well, since they lost some dudes last year that he didn't get to play with, they might have two or three on that defense. Maybe yeah, he was probably the best one. But you know, top fifteen in the nation in pressures is is, is no small feat. Uh, my number two for defense, Thomas Booker. Best interview I think we've ever done. I, he is – well, I'll just sum it up this way. I want him. Everybody's going to want him. Yeah. It, Everybody. It reminds me of uh, the Iron Man movie, right? Yeah. He gets, introduced to, <laughs> he gets introduced to Black Widow, basically, and he just leans over and says to Pepper, I want one. Yeah. I mean, he's brilliant. Like, he could coach tomorrow. And he's and he's not even in the NFL yet. He could coach tomorrow. Like, he's whipping out an iPad 
with three years of, of hand-drawn notes for fronts and coverages and, you know, blitz calls that they like, blitz calls that he will draw up and take to his DC and say, and say but I like to play I, it I want to do it this way. It's right. like, can we run text where I'm at a 2i instead of a 3 because I can get there. And, and it makes more space if oh I do my this God, and I don't so smart. <laughs> yeah, brilliant player. Uh, extremely well-spoken. Uh, very intelligent, very quick, just on all fronts, not only yes. just football. Uh, you don't really realize how big he is. Yeah. Like, I was standing right in front of him. He goes to shake your hand. Obviously, he has a huge hand. A lot of defensive linemen that we've seen this week have really big hands. And then he stands up out of the chair. Yeah. And you're like, how much do you weigh? And he says, 310. And he moves like he does. First, yeah. And you're like, okay, so you got a brilliant football mind with a ton of experience in a powerhouse conference. And you're basically an ideal size and the reason that he was on our radar interview in the first place is because he had penetrated all week yeah and he said i wanted to showcase that i didn't just play and control two gaps or gap and a half i wanted to show that i could get in the backfield and through the first two days like who's a kid from stanford and he'd done it over and over again yeah and you look at the size the smarts the ability to penetrate and you're like like i said i want one he played 4-I at Stanford, which is a thankless position, True. but a necessary one in modern defense. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he mentioned the Chargers were, were chatting him up quite a bit, which makes a lot of sense because <laughs> they tried a bunch of dudes at 4-I last year. None of them worked. They need one. <laughs> they need one. They need multiple of them. If he's not a Charger in a few months, I would actually be pretty surprised. Guarantee you, if Brandon Staley talks to, talks to him for like 15, 20 minutes just about ball, Brandon Staley's going to fall in love. He should. There's a lot of good reasons to love Thomas Booker. He is fantastic athlete, super smart, great football memory, too. Yeah. Was able to walk us back through years and be like, nope, but I did this against that guy and yeah. actually, no, there was this. Um, we put this on, or we did this by accident, so we put it in the next week. Like. Yeah, I've talked about the, <laughs> the accidents being the mother of invention in football and yeah. how. Sometimes you mess up a blitz and it works better, so you scratch it out on your <laughs> iPad and run it that way. Just a fascinating interview. Great guy, um, and he's going to contribute right away. Like he's he's got it all. He's got body type, experience, technique. Um, loves to learn in all facets. Um, crazy GPA. Uh, got made, recruited to Stanford, Michigan, Notre Dame, Notre like you know s schools that like he would have you know, been like a rocket scientist at if he wasn't also a highly gifted football player. So hyper organized. We're oh, showing yeah. us his organization. We're more like, organized than we are. Yeah, by far. <laughs> uh he was like, how did you keep all this straight? You had like a heavy course load at Stanford. You're playing sports at a high level. Uh you're doing a like uh, not just a course load by the way. He's an econ major and I think poli sci minor. Yeah yeah. Major and a At half. Stanford? Uh-huh. And he was also doing, the reason why he chose Stanford, by the way, as a sophomore in high school, he was going to do econ classes at Stanford. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Great dude. As you can tell, we absolutely love him. Uh, we think he's going to be tremendously successful in the league for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Great, great player. Put him on your list. Take a look. Yeah. Everybody's going to love him. Uh, who's your number two? Uh, Carson Wells. Uh, listed as a linebacker, really an edge from Colorado. Uh, not somebody I had on my list. Um, 
That's certainly not high on my list before this week. Uh, got to see him flash, make some pressures. Didn't have a ton of headlines here. Uh, was a guy when I went back and really was looking at, at shots I'd recorded for other guys. Like, hey, who's that guy? Which helmet? What number? Because I think he wears 26. Yeah. Which, again, numbers have gone crazy in the last couple uh, of years. They don't mean like, 26? Is he a big safety? No, he's way too big to be a safety. Okay, well, it's Carson Wells from Colorado. Highly productive edge rusher from their program. Um, remind me a little bit of a guy we met at the Senior Bowl a couple of years ago, Kenny Willekes, mm. um, in terms of super high effort, uh, the ability to bring varied techniques on different reps, on successive reps, not mm. always the same move. Um, which, you know, that might sound like not a big deal. In the NFL, that's pretty commonplace. In college, <laughs> we've even had guys say this to us this week. Until that stops working, I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. Right? So if they've got a great move and it's been working in their conference or, or working on their practice field, they're just going to keep hitting it. Um, Carson Wells is a guy that can vary his pitches, and that certainly helps any edge rusher. Um, good agility, decent size, bigger than some of the other edges that are here. Um, not the biggest guy, but moves very well, uh, is real comfortable in his frame. Um, definitely a guy I'm going to go back and watch more tape on because, again, when you go back and watch some of the more effective ones, he, he showed up this week. And the thing with him is, A, he's you know he's an effective other edge rusher, I guess is the word. Like the rotational guy you bring in, yep. you know, for if you're doing like an 80-20 split starters to backups. He's the guy you're giving 20% of your snaps to and you're feeling okay about it. Mm-hmm. This edge class is so absurdly deep. Like, we haven't even talked about the dudes in Mobile yet. You're going to get him late. For sure. And he's he's going to be better than the pick you spent on him, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah, he's he's a really, really good player. Uh, and also, as you mentioned, probably, probably going to stick around on special teams at a minimum. Um, my third guy, oh, speaking of special teams, Reed Blankenship. Oh, good who, even if he never plays a snap at safety, will make it on special teams. Because he can do the one thing that, at least these days, a lot of college players struggle with, and that is tackle. Hyper, hyper productive safety at Middle Tennessee State. Two seasons out of four, over 100 tackles. Mm-hmm. Which, A, a guy starting that long is, is not common. B, starting that long and being that productive is not that common. Um, you know, he had ball production, a whole bunch of PBUs. I wanted to see kind of how he moved um, because, again, Middle Tennessee State, competition level, you want to see how he, how he does against all-star caliber talent. Going up against Josh Johnson, you know, he definitely lost some reps. He did win some reps, you know, when he's able to kind of use the sideline to his advantage, but... Like in breakers where you know guys are squaring him up and then breaking inside, that's not that's not his game. You know he's not he's not the kind of safety that you put down on slot receivers. He is the kind of safety though that in team periods playing a lot better because he's a great communicator, really really smart, always in the right place at the right time. Again, I don't he's not a bad athlete. He's a he's a functional athlete. Mm-hmm. It's enough. It's better than like if we're using like Dan Sorensen as the baseline. Better than that. Mm-hmm. So like I would I would trust him in, you know, say the Dan Sorensen role of somebody you could play down in the box because he's a really good tackler. Uh, but you can also play him as a deep half safety and trust him not to screw it up because some safeties <laughs> seemingly you are can't. Not, not capable of doing that. 
Uh, again, he's got good hands, good ball production, special teams value. Uh, I really, really like him in a lot of facets. And again, you're going to get him on day three. Yeah, I wanted him to come out last year. He had a great year last year as well. He decided to go back to Middle Tennessee State. He talked about communication, about smarts. He's been back there. He runs their defense. Mm-hmm. Um, is used to seeing the whole picture in front of him, lining guys up, getting them into the right spots, making checks. Yeah. One-on-ones aren't his thing. Team periods are his thing. Well, one-on-ones, I think, against a lot of the type of players we have here at the Shrine Bowl, not his thing. Yes. The the quick-hipped Kyle Phillips is the world, the Josh Johnsons, that like he's not yeah. a quick twitch. And he's not small like them either. He's yeah. well over six foot, well over 200 pounds, which means against a heavier tight end who is not as fleet of foot. We were watching a couple of tight ends who are in Mobile for the Senior Bowl who are tall, a little bit slower, but good receiving threats. I would put him on them. In terms of UCLA guys, you want him on Dulcich. You don't want him on Phillips. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I would put him against them, but I'm not going to put him, like you said, I'm not going to walk him down into the slot with a fast or really twitchy slot receiver because he's not going to win. But he doesn't have to. Um, he's a missile on special teams. Uh, we certainly know the Middle Tennessee State can turn out safeties. Kevin Byer to the Tennessee mm-hmm. Titans, perennial pro bowler, came from there as well. He was the predecessor to Blankenship in that role. So different player than Byer, but has a role, will certainly start on special teams, and can be a functional third safety that can walk down in the box on heavier plays to get that sort of second or third tight end. Like, sure, let's go. And as... Cover two becomes a little bit more in vogue because you know it seemed for like a long time everybody's like, all right, I need a I need a free safety, I need a guy I can put in the post that can go from numbers to numbers. Again, he's not that kind of guy; he doesn't have that kind of range. But in an era where teams are playing a lot of cover two, where it's like I need you to go from middle of the field to sideline and not worry about everything else because you got a linebacker, you know, taking number three up the seam, and you got the other safety watching the other side, like. When there's less ground to cover, he has the range for that, plus the ball skills, plus you know the intelligence, all that kind of stuff. Like he, weirdly enough, fits today's NFL better than he would have fit five years ago. For sure, when everybody was running the Seahawks cover three, not necessarily his role in cover, you know, in cover two or high two safety stuff, where you say go be the top bracket. You can do he, that. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, really he's well. going to be a great and fit the run. Which some safeties yeah, from can't can't do that. Yep. But that's honestly his main value to me is like you can trust him to tackle against the run. Like football is a blocking and tackling sport. For sure. How many plays do we see this week where, you know, in, in team period, they broke for twenty yards longer than they should have because a dude took a bad angle. Like Yeah, or put his head down and yeah. missed the ball carrier. Who's your number uh what are you on? Three? Yeah, three. Uh, Myron Tagovailoa, Amosa, defensive end, Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. It's 99 on the roster here. Uh, plays anywhere from a five sort of into a three. Um, I said earlier to you today that he's that I could see him being a stealer, right? He's one of those yeah. sort of stealer ends, right? He's not going to be the rush guy. He's not going to be Bud Dupree or T.J. Watt. He's going to be that. I'm here to occupy a couple of guys. My profile looks about like this. I'm big and square and I can hold. I can penetrate occasionally. That's not really my game. He had a couple nice penetrations on goal line uh, periods today. Has made some poppy plays, some nice tackles, but this is a solid guy. He's going to seal his end. He's going to tackle the running back. 
Um, played again in a power conference, well, not power conference program, but played plenty of P5. Play against, yeah. yeah. Um, he, you know, uh, several other guys we talked to were teammates or were recruited by him. He was their host when he was, when they were recruited by Notre Dame. Booker was one of them. Um, guy that his teammates speak really highly of. Real quiet, not mm-hmm. loud on the field. Uh, I don't think we've heard a peep out of him in meetings not or anything one else. one word, no. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, a, he's a more keep-to-himself guy off the field, on the field. You see that bright gold helmet flashing, um, you know, cutting pullers, doing the work that needs to be done by, again, a guy with a profile like this that's real strong, doesn't give ground, knows his assignment, occasionally can flash in, you know, slip a guard, so mm-hmm. i do that, so I'm turning those big shoulders today. And, Slip under and hi, yeah. <laughs> not something a quarterback wants to see. Real solid player, real valuable role. We talked about the Chargers needing guys like that. Chargers take Notre Dame guys, they got Tillery and some other guys. I could see him playing on a team like that and a role like that, although he'd make zero noise to get there. You'd be like, who's this guy? Well, if you want somebody who makes a lot of noise, my number four, Mark Juan McCall. <laughs> the yeah. loudest defensive lineman out there. That is definition of a juice guy you know rotational defensive tackle built very similar to like a like a Derek Nottie he's a ball he's just yeah he's a circle of a human being yeah you know was 366 I believe at Kentucky we talked to his agent here he quote-unquote slimmed down to 343 but he's so dense that he doesn't even look 343 like I, I would have said like 320 but he, he carries it well, but he's freaking dense. Like, he's just – he's like a cement roadblock yeah. in the middle of the line. And he talks so much shit. Non I love it. He's a juice guy. Yeah, he talks to his guys. He talks to the other talks guys. Talks to the other team. Oh Equal opportunity God. destroyer. And today, on the hash mark, by himself, warming up, broke out the gritty. And he hit it well, too. I, I would say – put. Not that I've ever done the gritty. He put my potential gritty to shame. He Top is, tier gritty. He Top is a gritty. big guy that can move. He's light on his feet. He is heavy in the middle. Yes. And I mean heavy-handed, mass, holding up guys that are bigger than him. Well, taller than him. <laughs> um, and loud, loud, loud. Like, And he also kind of made a cameo, sort of, in the Thomas Booker interview because we were talking about you know, the intricacies of, you know, offensive line and defensive line play in terms of pre-snap reads. And I wish I got a chance to talk to him um, after this because I wanted to ask him about it, but I didn't get a chance to. I'll probably have him on the pod at some point and ask him about it. Uh, And so he was talking to Thomas Booker about, you know, reading centers for snap counts. This kind of let me know that Mark Wan's pretty freaking smart in his own right. So he was telling a story about uh, Alabama center Landon Dickerson, former Alabama center Lennon Dickerson, who would throw nose tackles off of the snap count by never really kind of doing the same thing before every single snap. Like when you when you watch center, you know, they might kind of have a a rhythm to how they react to a cadence where, you know, they might drop their butt a little bit right before they're going to snap it. Or, you know, they might kind of look around and then look down. You know, they, they kind of have a rhythm to themselves depending on what the snap count is. And so Lana Dickerson knew that Marquand was, was picking up on that when they would play each other. And so he would just kind of look around like he was still about to do a mic point and then no look snap it. 
so that Marquand would have a slower get-off. And for me, I'm like, okay, A, the fact that you notice that for sure. makes you already really smart. Because I never even thought of that. Like, I, again, I watched a lot of Landon when he's coming out. I never noticed that. But also the fact that, like, you know, you can you can chop it up on on reads and that kind of stuff with another really smart defensive tackle. Like, I think he's going to fit into a defensive line room with the veterans that talk about that kind of stuff on day one because – like that's that's what you need to do to be a successful pro. You need to be able to think about football at that high of a level where it's more than just I line up and I do this technique. It's about how you see the game, the mental aspect of the game that often determines how successful you are as a pro. I think he can do that. Yeah, it's definitely going to be one of those sort of cards in his case that is going to extend his career. Physically, I was his tape's good. I was hoping for a little bit more against this level of competition. Yeah, he's made plays. He hasn't made huge splashy plays. I expected him to tear up the offensive lines here and just be a like full time menace. Yeah, <laughs> so probably on me having those super high expectations. But that ability to not just line up and be physical, not just line up and be big. Um, Something that I think will help him make a team in the first place and stick with him once he's there. Um, great sense of humor. Teammates are going to love him. Um, and he's hard to run around. There have not <laughs> been a lot of, uh, you know, middle runs, A-gap runs, uh, because it's just it's not particularly easy to move that guy even with a double. Yeah, 340 um, is 340. And that is a very <laughs> valuable skill in the NFL. So Marquand McCall, uh, definitely one of the guys that's going to end up getting drafted. Uh, Shrine Bowl and probably sticking with the team and contributing. Yeah. Uh, who's your number four to wrap it up here? My number four, I'm going to go with pedigree over performance. And I don't normally do that, but hasn't had the greatest week. Hasn't had a terrible week by any stretch, but had a great career at UCLA. Quentin Lake, uh, listed as a defensive back. <laughs> He's a safety. Tanner Connor's arch nemesis. Tanner Connor's <laughs> arch nemesis after today. And we, we laugh about that because Tanner Connor, a wide receiver we've talked about. Um, from Idaho State, who's a big guy. He's almost 6'3", he's legit 230, very strong, likes the weight room, former track background, and he got stuck <laughs> on, on an – he was trying to release on a goal line drill, and he got stymied, and it was Quentin Lake. And Quentin Lake hit him up high, right around the collarbone, and just kind of buckled him over, which yeah. Tanner's not really used to at that size. So Quentin won the, the stick at the line. Um, but or Tanner played through it, ended up with a touchdown, uh, but Quentin was all over him in coverage. Quentin, again, has given up some touchdowns. He's had some reps again where he's got beaten by quickness because he's a bigger guy, played yeah. safety at UCLA. Um, another guy that's definitely going to be able to play special teams. Um, but I think overall, I want to see him in the game. Because I have a feeling when the lights come on... He strikes me as a gamer. Yeah. He strikes me as a gamer. When we say gamer, we mean maybe they practice well, maybe they don't. Maybe they're good in one-on-ones, maybe they're not. Lights come on Thursday night, NBC, whole country watching. We're in Allegiant Stadium. I would be not at all surprised if Quentin Lake comes up with a big tip or a pick. Huge hit, forces a fumble. It's the kind of thing he did at UCLA over and over again. So that's what I mean by betting on pedigree more than performance in this week in practice. So Quentin Lake, defensive back, UCLA, good size, really good production in the Pac-12 as yeah. well. I, he's going to be on the team. Also, let's be honest, on that quote-unquote loss to Tanner Connor, 
I mean, <laughs> he jammed him so well that, to be honest, he might have cost so much time in the route a hundred that it wouldn't have been thrown anyway. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like one on ones are tailored to have the DBs lose because mm-hmm. they don't have any help. Like there's no structure of a defense around them. Right. And so basically on that kind of where it's like a, a, a one step slant, if he doesn't lose in the first one and a half seconds, he's not losing. He's not losing, you know? Yeah. So I honestly, it, it's one of those where you kind of chalk it up to a win for both guys. You talk it up to a win for him for the incredible jam. Uh, and then you chalk it up to a win for Connor because he finished in the end. But in a real game situation, that that ball probably would not have been He's struck. probably not getting that ball unless his quarterback is Russell Wilson and generates a little bit of extra time. Yeah. Something like that because, yeah, he just wasn't able to get off the line for the first half half second. And, and he's 230. Yeah. When you're, on, <laughs> when you're on the five, a half second matters. So I think Quentin Lake's going to be a player in the league. Uh, I'm really interested to see how he does in the game because I have a feeling uh, some folks might walk away with a higher impression of him after the game than after practice. It's a good group here. Really, really good group. Um, I I shouldn't say I've been pleasantly surprised because Eric told us two months ago, like, hey, we're going to have 20, 30 dudes on rosters. Uh, And that's, I mean, he said even more than that. I wouldn't be surprised just because of all the the guys that have special teams versatility. Um, I I think he was right. I think there's going to be a lot of players coming out of the Shrine Bowl. They're going to fill out rosters, not just be contributors, but there's going to be a couple stars that come out of this game. Kyle Phillips is one. Honestly, some of the receivers in general. I think this could be a really banner year for Jelani Woods. Jelani Woods, the six seven monster who moves way better than a six seven tight end. Um, Chiggy Okonkwo from Maryland. Absolutely. I think is going to play for a long time. Bunch of the running backs, because... the punters, the fullback. Like again, these are the kind of guys that fill out rosters yep. that make teams win football games. So what you're saying is we're going to have the most epic day three draft live stream Oh, ever. man. We're going to – the Shrine Bowl is going to dominate the the day three value picks. Yeah. And they're they're going to stick in the league for a while, and they're going to be – they're going to be the guys that – I mean, Seahawks won a Super Bowl off of – Glue teams Off together. of those kind of guys. Yep. So I'm excited. It's It's been a hell of a week for Shrine Bowl. We've still got the game – Coming on Thursday, primetime on NBC. Correct. Correct. Uh, you know, we got Senior Bowl practices started up today, so we're going to go watch tape and then, you know, look at the one-on-ones and then talk about Senior Bowl guys. So that's coming soon. Long, long week for us here on Bootleg. What a tremendous week. Like, our access here, you've seen the shots on Twitter. They're field level. Mm-hmm. We have been... We've had full access in Allegiant Stadium, which is tremendous. We get to go down on the field. We can be right at the end zone for drills. We can. You, you've been head down getting yeah. some great up perspective shots that professional photographers get every week at NFL games with field passes. Um, three hours of interviews per day after practices, which if you're wondering what those bootleg slackers are doing and why don't they have my Twitter content out, it's... Because we're at the table recording guys like Thomas Booker and, and many of the other guys we've talked about. Just top-tier access to get into the heads of these guys, not ask superficial questions, have them get to know them as people a little bit, and then really have them talk ball at a deeper level. And they've appreciated that. They've yeah. Every one of them's lit up as soon as we started talking about a play they made in a game or reference their film or a skill we saw on film that, you know, they, they just – oh, these guys watch football, right? And that's not the kind of thing you get in a sideline interview five minutes after practice. Yeah. So 
the just the level of access, the level of organization in terms of how smoothly things have gone from one to another, whether it's during practice or in the media sessions, um, all the all the staff under Eric Galco, from the folks that have made and remade our badges mm-hmm. to the folks that ran and got players out of team interviews and brought them to us so that we could interview them yesterday. Um, just a tremendous something I've never experienced before, and it's, it's been it's awesome. wild to have. I mean, unlimited time with future NFL players yep. to talk about minute details of, of a play they made two years ago. Like, you you don't get that anywhere else. No, I've I've never been party to it and, and just feel so lucky that we got the opportunity. Uh, we're going to be dropping content on the Clips channel. We've been dropping content on Twitter. Uh, this will be on bootleg. Uh, we'll have live streams. It's it's just going to filter out all through draft season. And hopefully you all get to benefit from it. Um, we hope we're giving you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain here uh, because we've been lucky enough to get one. Yeah, so stay tuned. we got a lot more coming, both triangle content and a shitload of senior bowl content as well because there's a lot of dudes over in Mobile. Uh, and that should be coming... Quick as you can edit it. Quick as I can edit it. So we'll see you guys very soon. And until then, later. Take care.